In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. A car is never just a car. Kelly Blue Book knows it's so much more than that. It's your commuting chariot, your road trip refuge, your I just need a reason to get out of the house. Your car is there for everything. And for everything car, there's Kelly Blue Book. Need a new set of wheels? Price it on Kelly Blue Book. Problem under the hood? Fix it with Kelly Blue Book. Can another car do the job better? Trade it or sell it on Kelly Blue Book. We're here mile after mile, moment after moment. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it. KBB.com. Visit kellybluebook.com to get the journey started. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Fool me, can't get fooled again. Hey everyone, welcome to the Dumpster Fire Chats. I am Ben Kissel. We got a lot to get to. Uh, It was a crazy week. Number one, we had uh, the Washington Post story on Friday coming out and uh, saying that Barack Obama knew about the Russian intervention into the uh, 2016 election in August and chose to do nothing. All he did was uh, kick out 35 Russian diplomats. Uh, and I mean, in my personal opinion, that was an act of cyber war. And Obama should have been much more aggressive with Vladimir Putin. Uh, also, uh, Trump's travel ban had um, somewhat of a victory within the Supreme Court. It, it's allowed to go forward with some interesting caveats, uh, including uh, individuals coming from these six countries that are banned if they have a bona fide relationship in the United States, which I'm not, ex- it's, it's pretty broad. Uh, and I think the um, the courts will have to figure out what's bona fide. What's a bona fide relationship? Is it an uncle? Is it a grandmother? Is it a, um, a brother, a sister, a friend? Uh, is it uh, attending a university or having to go speak uh, on a college campus or at uh, any other event, what is a bona fide relationship in the in the United States that would allow you to circumvent uh, the travel ban? Also, uh, we're going to talk about more here coming up in this episode. Uh, the Republicans are trying to push through a health care plan uh, that has the Republican Party uh, in a very divided state. Uh, Mitch McConnell wanted that plan uh, passed before or voted on before the July 4th holiday. Uh, thank God that did not happen. Uh, the politicians will have to go face their constituents over this uh, holiday break and hopefully uh, have the minds of their constituents in their hearts when they go back to Washington, D.C., and actually vote on this bill, because as it is right now, massive cuts to Medicaid, massive cuts to Medicare. These bills are written by pharmaceutical and insurance companies uh, solely to profit pharmaceutical and insurance companies. Obamacare was absolutely no different. We're going to get into that uh, coming up here in uh, in the show. Of course, uh, Medicaid and Medicare cuts, something Donald Trump on the campaign promised not to do. He said, Lion Ted. Lion Ted is going to cut your Medicaid. Lion Ted is going to cut your Medicare. However, the real liar, uh, it turns out, as we already knew, is Donald Trump. Uh, also, uh, North Korea and uh, and attacks uh, regarding ISIS in Syria. 
uh, a lot of stuff happening this week. Unfortunately, all of it completely covered up uh, because of a ridiculously stupid tweet sent out by Donald Trump regarding Morning Joe television host Mika Brzezinski. Of course, she hosts the show with Joe Scarborough. uh, They had said negative things about Donald Trump on their television show. Uh, Donald Trump chose to go to Twitter because he was so offended by what these television news hosts were saying. Uh, He called Micah Brzezinski uh, uh, low IQ. He called uh, Joe Scarborough psycho Joe. I mean, this stuff is like straight out of a pro wrestling heel promo. Uh, Not to mention the great irony that Melania, Melania Trump, uh, is an advocate supposedly, supposedly an advocate against cyberbullying when she's married to the biggest cyber uh, bully in the history of cyberbullying because I'm fairly certain no one's ever cyberbullied from the White House before. Uh, so all of that stuff uh, that I mentioned earlier is overshadowed uh, because of this ridiculous tweet and series of tweets sent out uh, by Donald Trump. Uh, if you want to get a little bit more in depth, if you go to um, I, I hosted uh, in, in the wake uh, of Alan Combs, uh, the great, the late great Alan Combs, Fox News Radio. If you go to Fox News Radio, and I know a lot of people, and and you are right to hold whatever opinion you want uh, when it comes to that brand. Uh, I'm doing my best, and I stay true to myself, and I'm staying true to our message that we've cultivated here on Abelian's Top Hat. But if you want to get into a little bit more depth. Uh, you can go to Fox News Radio on Facebook and you can watch uh, the Facebook live feeds, uh, which I think, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. I, wa- I watched and I said, you know, other than my morbid obesity, uh, it's a pretty good show. Um, so it's it's unfortunate that uh, these really significant things that are going to affect millions and millions of lives in this country are overshadowed because of the thin skinned man that we have in the White House. And of course, the news media is complicit in many ways as well, because they just see this as ratings and they see this as, oh, another salacious tweet by Donald Trump. We better cover it at nauseum for 24 hours uh, a day, seven days a week. And meanwhile, the American people are looking for answers. We're looking for uh, signs of good governance, and we're just not getting it, certainly not from this administration, and as we'll get into in the episode, certainly not from the Republican nor Democratic parties when it comes to what they're attempting to do with health care. All right, well, let's get in here uh, to the emails. Okay, the first email, it comes in from Meg. Hello, Meg, how are you? Uh, And it reads, Hi, Ben and Marcus. I seriously could write several emails praising each of the podcasts at CCR, and maybe I'll do that someday, but specifically about Top Hat. Thank God I finally decided to listen to it. Well, thank you for listening to it. Uh, I was cautious about listening to a political podcast. However, I've been listening most of the week at work, and I'm absolutely enjoying not only the political discussion, but the fact that you discuss the social psychology behind all that's going on in the world. It's very reasonable and a complete breath of fresh air. I grew up in a strong conservative evangelical household, and now that I'm out on my own, I'm realizing that perhaps my biggest issue with the conservative side, especially conservative evangelicals, is the loss of empathy. 
your recent episode 347, where you talk about politicizing everything while removing the humanity and empathy from things really struck me. Because at the end of the day, no matter what side of the political spectrum you fall, both sides have forgotten how to think and how to live. I know you aren't particularly religious, and although I have been disillusioned with nearly all aspects of the evangelical community, I still have faith in God. What I find so ironic is that the same crowd that preaches love your neighbor, feed the poor, and turn the other cheek is the same group supporting Trump and his ilk, which do the exact opposite. It's mental gymnastics, talk a total cognitive dissonance, and it's painful to still have so many family members in the community. Uh, If I lived in NYC, Ben, you'd have my vote. This is perhaps the most logical discussion I've heard on politics in quite some time. Marcus, I don't know if you ever considered writing a book, but but you've got the knowledge uh, on so many things, and I could see you writing a totally fascinating book. Well, hail yourself, Meg, and I could not agree with you more regarding the Trump administration and his evangelical supporters. Uh, we have a situation where Sarah Huckabee Sanders, when they allow cameras in the White House press room, uh, which is a new phenomenon that they're no longer uh, following or allowing the First Amendment, the freedom of press, which is cornerstone to this republic's democratic process, we have to know what our leaders are doing in order to uh, uh, have a conclude a rational opinion about their performance, uh, which then leads us to know how to vote in the future. Uh, the fact that the cameras have been uh, many times um, not allowed in the White House press room should boggle people's minds and be a very um, a dark warning sign that we are going to fall into a totalitarian state. We already, in my personal opinion, live in an oligarchy. I mean, the republic... Um, it's a republic, but my goodness, does not does it not look like more of an oligarchy on a daily basis? When it comes to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, of course, she is the daughter of Mike Huckabee, uh, the former governor of Arkansas. Uh, she's evangelical, extremely evangelical. Of course, Mike Huckabee was out there with uh, with Kim Davis, the woman uh, who refused to allow the gay uh, marriage licenses. He's out there espousing his religious uh, views. And now we have Sarah uh, Huckabee Sanders uh, defending Donald Trump when he makes atrocious statements like the ones he made against Mika regarding her facelift and her bleeding uh, when she went to Mar-a-Lago. And that's why he didn't want to hang out with her. I didn't read the tweet because I'm so sick of hearing the dang tweet. For, for those that don't know, the context was was basically... Uh, talking about how Joe and Mika would have loved to hang out with Donald Trump over New Year's Eve, but Donald Trump said no because Mika was bleeding from a facelift that had gone wrong or right. I have no idea. Nonetheless, it was completely beyond the pale, completely not presidential, a total affront to the office of president, which Democrats and Republicans both agree. So now you've got this evangelical woman up there who is talking about uh, how Donald Trump is just a counterpuncher. He punches back when he pun- when he gets punched. Okay, these are two very different things. Number one, television hosts talking about the sitting president of the United States and the president of the United States, then blasting them on social media. Also, it might have uh, it's come to light. And now we don't know there isn't a lot of evidence here that Joe Scarborough was possibly threatened by the Trump administration. If they didn't cut out the bad reporting, they said, oh, we're going to start lambasting you in the press. 
which is unbelievable to even think a sitting U.S. president would have such a thin skin to do that. And I completely understand your, I don't want to say uh, rage, or but you're, you're pointing out of the hypocritical nature of the, of the evangelical Republican. It is, they defend this man who, obviously, we don't have to go back and, and, and reference the tape, the Billy Bush tape, all the sexual uh, innuendo and, and, and extremely uh, vulgar verbiage that Donald Trump uses on a regular basis. But the fact that Sarah Huckabee Sanders goes into a White House press room, defends Donald Trump, again, whose wife is running a campaign supposedly against cyberbullying. Meanwhile, she's got children, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, that is, has children who she's trying to uh, form into uh, soon-to-be compassionate, loving, um, courteous adults. And she has to defend this 70-year-old man-child uh, who would rather be golfing than be president, which is a diss on every single president that's existed in my lifetime, by the way. I don't know why they're obsessed with golfing so dang much. She's got to go uh, put her children to bed, tell her children how to behave. Meanwhile, uh, the biggest baby in the country is is sitting in the Oval Office tweeting about facelifts and blood uh, at TV news anchors. It's unbelievable. And when Sarah Huckabee Sanders and when the evangelical community, when they lay down in bed at night and they shut their eyes, they got to come to terms with the fact that they're defending someone who is completely ideologically against their core beliefs. So thank you so much for that email, Meg. And that is just the one thing about Donald Trump is he has shown the hypocrisy of the evangelical right. All right. The next email comes in from Kirsten. Uh, she writes, hey, Ben and Marcus, I just finished listening to the Stretch Armstronging episode of Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. I found the podcast because of last podcast on the left which was initially introduced to me because of my favorite murder. Uh, thank you so much for checking out the show. We really appreciate it. And, you know, we love my favorite murder. Uh, it's a great show, and um, they are nothing but incredible people. Okay, the email goes on. I'll be turning 30 this year and have been politically motivated for most of my life. Even in high school, where I was involved in a student-written theater performance that caused such a scandal, my friends and I had to defend ourselves to the local school board. I guess you could call that my moment of political awakening, and I've been passionate about many issues ever since. You know, it's funny you mentioned uh, theatrical productions in high school causing an uproar, because as we saw with Julius Caesar, uh, evidently theater is now the tip of the spear when it comes to political commentary in this country. It's so divisive, it must be shut down. Oh my God, so funny. Um, the email goes on, I've always been, I've always identified uh, as generally liberal and have voted Democrat in every uh, general election. I wanted to thank you both for your willingness to call out anyone, even those who could be considered on your side of the equation. I myself am guilty of using words like Trumpkins and Trumpers and Trumpsters to describe Trump's supporters and have found myself dealing with a lot of anger since this past election. I'm constantly trying to redirect that anger into more productive directions, and I appreciate being called out, well, not directly, for using tactics that only add to the political turmoil we're already neck deep in. The way you both are able to hold passionate positions without letting it weigh you down is extremely inspiring, and I hope that by continuing to listen to your level-headed discourse, I can learn how to better communicate and be part of the solution rather than the problem. Thanks again, Kiki. Thank you, Kiki Hale, yourself. You know, we have a situation in this country where everyone's just going online, getting into fights, 
And there is no positive outcome. There is no conclusion. Everyone's simply trying to win these wars uh, based upon likes, hearts, retweets, quote tweets, whatever it might be. And it's totally counterproductive to an actual conversation that's going to lead to positive social change. So we have to find a way to come together and not be so decisive in our own opinions that every Every time we go into a conversation, we say, well, I know the 100 percent truth. So if this individual attacks me in any one of my ideas, they are now 100 percent false because I know the truth. We have to be willing to actually engage and constantly reform, remold our political uh, opinions and be able to. Uh, adjust when you do receive new information, when new uh, evidence has come to light, uh, regardless whatever it might be. You know, um, you, we have to be able to stay fluid in our political thinking and not become stagnant uh, because, uh, you know, as sharks will tell you, when you stop moving, you die. And what happens now with these political enclaves, with this hyper-partisanship that's hardening political opinions, uh, people are immediately going into political conversations defensive, not willing to be open. Uh, and and it, because that's a, that's a taught defensive mechanism. That's how human beings survive. We have to be defensive so we can live. I understand that because too many times or perhaps someone was cordial, perhaps someone was nice. And the next thing you know, they're sucker punched by the left or the right. Uh, and who knows? Uh, and, and then so they're left like, OK, well, it's, it's it better be time for me to become more hardened in my political opinion. And that's why we're not getting any compromise whatsoever, both in society, which is then going into uh, our politics in Washington. Of course, another massive issue that we've talked about at length on this show is gerrymandering, redistricting that's been happening uh, basically ever since the beginning of the country. It was it was a former governor of Massachusetts. Uh, it was Governor Jerry who uh, wanted to win re-election, created a district that looked like a salamander out of the ether, uh, and uh, that's why it became gerrymandering. Uh, so, these politicians go to Washington, there's no incentive for them to compromise. There's no incentive for them to politic whatsoever because their core constituents at home are such a hardened base of one uh, political ideology that there is no benefit to compromise. As a matter of fact, it might hurt them politically. Uh, as we saw with Eric Cantor uh, with, when he lost to David Brett a couple of years ago. Uh, so this is really a massive problem in this country, and we have got to get back to governing, because if we don't, the entire republic's democratic process is going to completely uh, erode and be gone. I mean, we have a situation currently where Vice President Mike Pence has already broken three Senate ties. Uh, the vice president is the president of the Senate, and they have the ability to tie break, okay? So he's already done three tie breaks. Keep in mind, H.W. Bush, when he was vice president under President Reagan, he did it eight times, eight total times in eight years. Uh, uh, Al Gore, I believe, with seven tie breaks. Uh, so this is abnormal. Dick Cheney, he had eight tie breaks total under eight years. This is abnormal. We have three tie breaks from our vice president. We're only six months into this administration. And that is just a great indicator, a key indicator in hyperpartisanship and what's happening right now in Washington. And these politicians love it. That's when, when they create this health care bill, which we're going to talk about here coming forward. Uh, it's all written by the pharmaceutical companies. It's written by the insurance companies. The only people getting screwed over the individuals in this country, the Americans in this country, um, the hyperpartisanship 
uh, that we see, the cognitive dissonance that we see when it comes to when it comes to health care is mind boggling. Uh, you know, we had the Republican Party lambasting the Democrats in 2009, 2010, when they were attempting to pass Obamacare, saying they're doing it behind closed doors. We need to see the bill. We need to see the bill. And now we have the Republicans doing everything behind closed doors. Uh, their Democrats now are playing their role and saying, we need transparency. That is a bunch of BS, and they know it because they didn't give us transparency when they were passing Obamacare in the first place. And now the Republicans are doing exactly what the Democrats did in, in 2010, and the American people are the ones uh, looking like a bunch of fools with our thumbs up, you know what. So both of these institutions, uh, both of these parties are to blame for the hyperpartisanship because at the end of the day, they don't live up to their uh, rhetoric. Uh, they are beholden to the huge corporations, and they don't think about the American people when they actually get to Washington and start legislating, which is a massive, massive problem. Um, so thank you so much for writing in. I could not agree with you more. It is, uh, it, we, gotta, we have to do something about the hyperpartisanship, and uh, if we don't, we're going to continue down this path of, uh, of dangerous rhetoric that leads to real-life Violence, as we saw in the Steve Scalise shooting, uh, the House Majority Whip again uh, disagree with his politics, but no one deserves to get shot. That's not the country that we can live in. We can't go back in time and start having uh, public duels and things like that. And uh, and again, that's why the arts are so important. You get to have the steam let out. They are the great. Uh, they they allow for the steam to be let out. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for the email. Let's move on. All right, the next email comes in from Emily. Thank you for writing in, Emily. Uh, She writes, Hi, Ben and Marcus. Like most people who write in, I'm a big fan of everything y'all do with CCR. This morning, I've been catching up on a few episodes of Abelian's Top Hat, specifically Negative Press Kafifi. Oh, my goodness, Kafifi. That was, of course, the the tweet of the moment when Donald Trump uh, fell asleep tweeting or something happened. I have no idea. And he wrote Kafifi, which might have meant conference or conversation or I don't have no freaking clue what this guy is trying to write on Twitter. Uh, so she's reading specifically negative press Kafifi. And I just wanted to write in about something that really caught my attention. I want you both to know that I'm hearing what you're saying, but it really stuck with me in not so great a way. I hope I'm not adding to the 8 million people who write write in to correct you. Not my intention whatsoever. Marcus, when discussing pre-existing conditions, you mentioned including obesity as a pre-existing condition and called it a choice condition. I can't quite remember the wording, but you are comparing it to people who smoke. I just wanted to write in to give you my perspective as someone who's always looked forward to hearing Uh, what you have to say about the stigma surrounding mental health and how it is treated by the general population slash government. I'm 23 and have been and have been living with two conditions. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going to be able to pronounce it properly. We'll go with PCOS and Hashimoto's disease, which can occur with extreme hypothyroidism both of which cause significant weight gain. In fact, within the span of four years, I've gained nearly 100 pounds and I'm unable to do many of the things that I still love in terms of exercise, sports, etc. At 23, your confidence takes a capital B beating with ex- with an extra 100 pounds. You know, Emily, I just have to say real quick, um, as a person who has struggled with his weight, uh, my entire life, of course, I used to be 380 pounds. I lost 160 pounds. Now I've probably gained back about 80 pounds of that. Um, it is unbelievably difficult when you are going through life uh, overweight. 
Um, I feel your pain. I feel your struggle. Um, people, they, they treat you differently. They really do. I, that was the biggest um, thing that I had to get over when it comes to human nature. When I first lost my weight, uh, people were nicer. They treated me with more respect. Uh, they thought I was smarter. Girls started wanting to, you know, maybe go on a date uh, if that's possible. Uh, you know, it was really enlightening. Uh, once I lost all that weight, it's like living two different lives. It really is a you 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 almost uh, die and come back anew uh, when you lose so much weight because society is completely different. Even though you're living in the exact same apartment, town, driving the same car, uh, you know, around similar friends. Although you do tend to get more friends uh, when you lose weight, uh, and it was really disheartening and sad, and it made me feel. Um, like people were so shallow uh, that they would treat me one way when I'm 380 pounds and another way when I was 220 or 240 pounds. Uh, and I remember, uh, you know, just just thinking what a uh, horrible uh, realization that was as I as I was uh, kind of going through my transition of, of uh, and it really is a transition. It's a full lifestyle transition. Um, as I was going through it, it, it was really sad uh, realizing uh, that people had been treating me uh, in such a different, with lack of respect, uh, in such a different way uh, than when I had lost all the weight. I'll never forget the moment I was decided to lose weight. I was around 20, uh, and I could no longer tie my shoelaces, uh, or I was getting winded while trying to tie my shoelaces. And I was like, am I going to need to start wearing Velcro shoes? And I think that was the moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to have to try to lose weight. So perhaps I think that was where Marcus was coming from when, uh, when he was talking about it being a choice. And of course, uh, um, because I, I totally agree with your point. I'm going to continue reading the email. I, I absolutely love it. Um, and my heart is with you. Um, for me, I mean, the reason that I gained all that weight, I had social anxiety disorder. Uh, I didn't want to be seen. And one of the great ironies about, uh, obesity, you, you eat your feelings, you, uh, you know, sort of a tumultuous childhood, strange home uh, that I grew up in. You eat your feelings and you do it so you can, you, so no one will see you. But of course, the great irony, I was 380 pounds and six foot seven. Everyone saw me, uh, to say the least. So it was kind of counter, uh, counterintuitive. But when you're really in the, the uh, depression and uh, the self-loathing uh, that I was going through, um, uh, you know, you just don't, you, you, you really lose, you lose sight of, uh, how to take care of yourself and, and you lose sight of, uh, of, you know, of how people are, are perceiving you. Uh, so the, the email goes on the thing with PCOS and hypothyroidism is that obesity, which is one of the most common symptoms caused by the associated weight gain is still viewed as the patient's fault by nearly everyone, including a medical community, sometimes, especially the medical community. It was considered a pre-existing condition pre ACA. So regardless of how I eat or work out, being fat is my problem and I'm not worth most uh, physicians time because obviously I don't care about myself. If I can't just lose some weight, I work in healthcare, and this is just how it goes. Much of this view comes from that sort of broad generalization in the same way that mental health is stigmatized that I heard you use on the show. I've had doctors literally roll their eyes when viewing when reviewing my chart. I can see the images of lazy overeating people from my 600 pound life running through their heads before my diagnosis and weight gain. This never happened. But a doctor wrote obese on my chart and that sticks with me. Also, I'm not 600 pounds. I'm around 250 at 
510, but that puts me in the same category as someone at 400 to 600 pounds medically. You know, I understand the sensitivity of this subject uh, and, and the verbiage that's used around uh, individuals who are heavy set can be really, really hurtful. I'll never forget. I was trying to go buy a suit jacket, uh, not at Jose Bank, by the way. I wasn't quite as uh, professional as I am these days. Uh, I was someplace, uh, some moo barn or dress barn, uh, some big and tall uh, store for, for men. It's always like extra, extra, extra large. It's like, I got it. I know. Thank you. Um, and the guy pulled out a suit jacket and I was like, what's the size? He says 54 portly, 54 portly was the size of the suit. I was like, could we, could you change it to like 54, like lumberjack or like 54, like might be a good pro wrestler one day, 54 portly. And that stuck with me because it was so dehumanizing and so sad, uh, that they, (laughs) that I would be the size of a animated pig, uh, 54 portly. Um, it was, uh, it was tough. It was tough. And, um, looking back on the, on that time, you know, the amount of insecurity and the amount of sadness, uh, that goes into being such an outcast and being such, uh, you know, being someone who just doesn't fit the normal mold. Uh, it's very, very difficult. The email continues. When we look at one symptom and associate choice with it, we're discounting the huge percentage of people who are trying so hard to cope with their new and unfortunate reality. My thyroid doesn't produce the right hormones, and my pancreas doesn't make the right amount of insulin, so my body is unable to process sugars correctly, storing them as fat, and the hormones that make my metabolism run just aren't there. I don't choose that, just like I don't choose the imbalance of serotonin in my brain that my brain produces. I don't choose this in the way that someone chooses to buy and smoke cigarettes or drink alcohol or do drugs. Obviously, there are people... Uh, that do choose to eat poorly and never move their bodies. But if we consider their conditions to be a pre-existing condition, we also must include uh, people like me and the approximately 5 million other women worldwide with PCOS and 20 million Americans with a thyroid disorder who would lose coverage and priceless medication that allows my conditions to be managed. Uh, Anyway, thank you guys for the incredible work. I'm I'm proud to be a listener. CCR shows make me laugh. Every single day, and that is such an amazing gift for you guys to give someone. Seriously, thank you for taking the time to read this. I'm sure you both get a ton of emails about all kinds of complaints that people have, and that never feels good. Best of luck with you. BK for BK, and have a good one warmly, Emily. Thank you so much, Emily, for the email. I really appreciate your perspective and your thoughts, and that is something uh, that we have to keep in mind. And this is also why healthcare is such a difficult thing for the government to deal with. This is why I firmly believe Donald Trump bit off more than he can chew when trying to push health care as his first massive agenda that will go through both the House and the Senate. Uh, this is jobs, infrastructure. Those have much more broad bipartisan support for him to choose health care with zero experience in the executive uh, branch, with zero legislative experience. Uh, was a massive mistake, and we're seeing that happen now. We're seeing we're seeing the the fruits of his novice abilities uh, when it comes to Mitch McConnell attempting to pass this health care bill through the House. So where we're at right now, just to sort of transition into discussing the health care bill, is the Republicans have they need to get at least fifty again uh, because the tie breaking vote goes to the vice president. 
So they need at least 50. Currently, they are not there. They have lost the conservative wing of the Republican Party. Your more libertarian-leaning individuals, Rand Paul of Kentucky, uh, Ted Cruz of Texas. I don't want to call Ted Cruz a libertarian. I believe he is a conservative Republican, which does imply big government interaction in our lives on a regular basis, specifically when it comes to um, uh, uh, reproductive rights and the rights of individuals uh, in the minority, specifically when it comes to gays uh, and also when it comes to uh, the prison industrial complex, which all of these individuals benefit greatly from. Nonetheless, the conservative wing of the Republican Party, Rand Paul of Kentucky, Ted Cruz of Texas, Ron Johnson out of Wisconsin, uh, and then, uh, of course, we also have Mike Lee out of Utah. They are against the health care bill that the Republicans have put forward because it doesn't do enough to repeal Obamacare, as Rand Paul called it, Obamacare light. And let's keep in mind, Paul Ryan, uh, the creator or the great mind, I say this with great satire and uh, sarcasm when it comes to health care. If you recall, uh, Paul Ryan, uh, for eight years under Barack Obama, said that he had the health care bill. He had the holy grail of health care bills. And no one could see it. It was, it was under lock and key. It was like Jimmy Hoffa's body, just buried, buried deep, deep in the ground. No one's going to see it until we're ready for the big reveal. It was like when Geraldo Rivera promised uh, to open up Al Capone's safe. And you know what? Dare I say there was more substance in Al Capone's safe, more positive substance uh, than what is in this health care bill that Republicans are pushing forward right now. Paul Ryan refused to let anybody see it. He was like the Joe McCarthy, Joseph McCarthy, of course, a senator out of uh, out of Wisconsin during the great communist hunt. Uh, Roy Cohn, of course, the great inspiration for Donald Trump being the uh, lawyer for Joseph McCarthy as well. Uh, He would never Joe McCarthy would never let anyone see what's in the briefcase. What's in the box? What's in the briefcase? He says, oh, all the names of all the communists in Washington, they're all in this briefcase. Now, it was just a bunch of nudie mags and vodka. That, that's what it was in the briefcase. Okay. And so Paul Ryan promised that he was going to unveil the bill of bills when it comes to health care. And this is what he's given us. What he has given us is a massive grab for the wealthy and a massive another billion dollar, billions upon billions of dollars will be made by big pharmaceuticals and big uh, insurance companies. And mark my words, Obamacare did the exact same thing because Obamacare was written by the exact same companies that have donated millions and millions of dollars to both the Democrats and the Republicans. So you have your conservatives who will not go along with this bill. And then you also have your moderates. We're talking Dean Heller out of Nevada. We're talking Susan Collins out of Maine. They refuse to go along with the bill because they have constituents at home. uh, And those constituents rely heavily on Medicaid and Medicare. And they will not be reelected if they do agree to cuts on those two government programs that individuals have uh, put money in. You know, they want to see uh, a return on their investment. And their investment was Medicaid, Medicare, and they want the return. Their investment is their tax dollars, and and the return is Medicare and Medicaid. And, of course, these pharmaceutical companies and these insurance companies, they want a return on their investment as well. That's the problem with all of these bills. These people go to Washington, these politicians go to Washington, and they think about the lobbyist in their office more than the constituent who is back home on the farm, back home working at an Arby's, back home uh, working at a car wash. They, the politicians are thinking about 
the lobbyists. So the Republican health care plan at this point is DOA dead on arrival because they have two huge uh, groups of the Republican Party, moderate Republicans and conservative Republicans that are against it for opposite reasons. So now if you're Mitch McConnell, who, by the way, everyone always says Mitch McConnell, he's one of the greatest organizers in political history. He can get anyone uh, galvanized in support of something. The only thing that he is good at is galvanizing opposition which is a much, much easier than galvanizing support for a proactive policy that will lead to a better life for the American people. So this bill that the Republicans are attempting to put forward, by the way, uh, Mitch McConnell having the audacity uh, to want to get this done before the July 4th break, I mean, that is insane. That is absolutely insane. It's 142 pages, and he wanted people to vote on it within a week. Without the constituents, people who have day jobs, they don't have the time to read this bill. And he was just, you know, let's just do it. Let's just do it a late Friday night. Like when Barack Obama passed TPP the same weekend, uh, that Friday that gay marriage was allowed. So no one even realized uh, that he had just sold us up the river with the Trans-Pacific Partnership because we were too busy and rightfully so celebrating uh, the Constitution and the rights of everyone who lives in this republic to have the rights that the Constitution has put in place, specifically the right to marry whoever the heck you want uh, when it comes to uh, the gay marriage legisl- legislation, uh, or, the gay ma- or the gay marriage ruling, rather. So this bill is not even close to being finished, and it very well might never, ever get passed. And, you know, the thing is, we talk about uh, the 2016 election. We talk about the October surprise. There's always a big October surprise. And in this case, it was uh, it was the reopening of the Hillary investigation. And uh, when it comes to James Comey, uh, that was with the Hillary uh, email leaks uh, that was reopened because some of those emails found their way to Anthony Weiner's uh, home computer and the investigation was reopened. And we don't have to rehash that entire situation. And, of course, the Donald Trump uh, grabbed them by the you know what uh, tape, uh, that disgusting tape with Billy Bush, who was subsequently fired, I believe there was an Access Hollywood tape, was fired and still can't get work because he was there. Well, Donald Trump said, grab them by the you-know-what, and meanwhile, Donald Trump is president. So you tell me where the fairness in, uh, is in all of that. But the other October surprise was premiums went through the roof. This was when people went to their mailboxes, they got their health care bill, and they found out they had quadrupled. And that did no favors for Hillary. It did no favors for the Democratic Party. And all it did was allow individuals to overlook all of the issues with Donald Trump because they saw maybe he can get things done. He's promised not to cut Medicaid. He's promising not to cut Medicare. And he says he can do it by himself. You're looking at a bill. You can't afford it, and uh, you don't know what else to do, so you're willing to go and uh, take a massive shot uh, in the dark. I mean, we also have a situation where this Republican bill, it it is a mandate. Uh, So if you are a conservative, uh, this is a mandate. There's a 30% tax on anyone who, young people who don't get health insurance after two months. So this bill, uh, it is... It is not replacing Obamacare. It's not repealing Obamacare. It is a worse version of Obamacare in a lot of ways. Um, And it's going to do nothing to lower the premiums because, again, it is uh, the requirement is that young people have to join in in order to finance the program. And at the end of the day, 
young people will not be doing that. So, uh, you know, this notion, so it's, it's, it's not conservative, it's not intelligent, it's just another big money grab. It also is a massive, massive tax break for the wealthy. Uh, and to some degree, um, Obamacare was a massive tax, uh, uh, you know, a hike uh, for the wealthy. So, uh, you know, it is uh, the only people getting bent over the proverbial bench is us. Pharmaceuticals are going to be fine. The wealthy are going to be fine. It's us that are going to be the ones crying in pain because our government is beholden to corporations, not the people. All right. Well, let's change gears a little bit here. Uh, This next email, man, this one, this is just, it breaks my heart so much. Uh, Philando Castile is the... uh, is the subject of the email. Of course, Philando Castile uh, was the individual who was shot uh, by uh, Geronimo. Uh, he was a police officer, Geronimo Yanez. And um, the video was streamed on Facebook Live. And then, of course, we saw the dash cam video from the police car itself. And it just proved uh, what uh, many people already suspected to be true. This officer acted uh, in total and utter fear and complete panic um and just mindlessly to say the least so this email comes in from sarah uh she writes in ben the police officer was found not guilty after the hung jury was denied request to review evidence during deliberations our community is devastated this peaceful man who served our children food was murdered 74 seconds after being pulled over because he resembled a criminal And that's an interesting word, criminal. If you haven't seen it yet, 13th, it's a wonderful documentary on Netflix. Hard, hard to watch. But if you look at criminality and how it relates to slavery, basically what they did was take take individuals who were previously slaves. There is a caveat in the 13th Amendment that says uh, if they are criminals, they are not uh, protected under the same constitutional rights as non-criminals. So what do you do? Criminalize everything, over-prosecute, over-arrest, over-incarcerate. So he resembled a criminal, not to mention a birth of a nation, the smear campaign on what is black, what is blackness, black men, um, the constant smear campaign in the media, cops, the show Cops, uh, the uh, just this huge marketing and that's exactly what this is marketing campaign to label blacks as criminal so now we can't call them slaves but if we call them criminal we can incarcerate we can take away freedoms and never allow them true uh truly to live under the constitution of the united states and not share the constitutional freedoms that people uh that other people have uh, in this country specifically white individuals so because he resembled an, uh, a criminal, he was pulled over, and now his memory is being slandered because of smoking marijuana. There we go, talking exactly what I was just talking about. In the aftermath of this, his girlfriend was treated like a criminal, handcuffed in front of her daughter. Can you imagine what message that sends to her daughter, seeing her mother in handcuffs? It normalizes the notion. If you haven't seen the video of Diamond Reynolds handcuffed in the back of the police car with her four-year-old daughter, please watch it. It is a heartbreaking account of how this trauma affects our babies and how historical trauma begins. She does have a link to it. I have seen it. I highly recommend seeing it. It is extremely sad. Uh, And the baby, uh, the four-year-old girl, 
uh, telling her mother it's all going to be all right, uh, embracing her mother as she is in handcuffs after the after the police just shot her boyfriend. I mean, it is. You think this happens in China? You think this happens uh, in uh, in North Korea? And we're watching it on Facebook Live. Hours after she was detained, the the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension subpoenaed Facebook and Sprint for her phone and Facebook profile records to look for criminal activity. Oh, look at this. Just desperately trying to justify this man's, this Geronimo murdering somebody. An innocent United States citizen who has full constitutional rights to due process. The search warrant included a gag order preventing them from telling her about it. Facebook denied the request and threatened legal action. Sprint complied. Meanwhile, the officer was uh, was able to go home and received a salary for all this. His legal fees paid for by the police association and is now negotiating a severance package from the department. Our governor and many local politicians have spoke out against this untrained officer's deadly, reckless action. Yet the verdict of not guilty still happened. Meanwhile, our children know this man is not here anymore, and they don't understand why. They hear bad things about him, that he deserved it, and they don't understand because he was always so kind to them. And we are left to try to explain the injustice of the system that values one life over another and figure out what we can do to change it. Heartbroken in St. Paul, Sarah. Thank you so much for writing in, Sarah. And, you know, this is why... When we talk about the legalization of marijuana, the stigma around marijuana, uh, and of course, as we talked about previously, the stigma around being black in America, uh, the stigma around marijuana, this is not about hippies wanting to get high. This is about criminal justice. This is about changing the minds of individuals in this country that infer a huge amount of negative um, uh, emotions when they hear someone smokes marijuana. In in the case of, uh, in this case, the officer uh, Yanez said that he believed, and as, as I believe I talked about on the last episode, he believed that Philando Castile was smoking marijuana in front of his four-year-old so he would shoot a cop. So that means, in the extension of this man's mind, well, the next thing you know, he's going to shoot a cop. I mean, this is birth of a nation meets reefer madness uh, level of hysteria. And these these uh, ideas and philosophies have permeated themselves throughout this entire country's history. This is a massive uh, tendon in this in, in this country's history. This kind of thinking is marbleized into the minds of millions and millions of Americans. And that's why this officer had the mental leap that he better shoot this individual because, hey, um, he was smoking weed in front of his kid. There's no reason why he won't shoot me. And again, as we talked about in the last episode, this would have been a great opportunity for the NRA to come up and defend Philando Castile, who followed every single law. He had a conceal and carry permit. He told the officer he had a gun. There was no reason for that officer to shoot him other than the uh, ingrained uh, prejudice that goes in, uh, that went, that was in the mind of, uh, of Yanez. And I also want to point out this. This is, uh, this is a New York City fact. Obviously, I'm running for Brooklyn Borough President, so, uh, which has been great because it's been so educational speaking with people and doing research. When it comes to marijuana arrests in New York, and I would assume you could infer this uh, racial disparity to other uh, places, to basically all places across the country, 46% of individuals arrested for marijuana are black, 39% of individuals arrested for marijuana are Hispanic, and let me point out, all of my white friends smoke weed, and not, I mean, why 
it is obvious that there is a racial disparity when it comes to over-policing and marijuana, not to mention, as I talked about, if you have a chance to listen to the Brighter Side episode I did with Ed Larson regarding my campaign, I was on with Travis Irvine, the campaign manager. Um, We talked about uh, stop and frisk. I firmly believe stop and frisk. Many cities across the country have a stop and frisk program, a complete violation of the Constitution. It's stop, frisk, and plant. And marijuana is an extremely easy thing to plant on somebody. There's also a great documentary, Do Not Resist. Do Not Resist. Check that out. Uh, And it'll be enlightening, to say the least, when it comes to the 1033 program uh, that we have. And that goes back to health care as well. I'm not sure if I mentioned that uh, regarding how do we pay for Medicaid, Medicare. $500 billion a year goes in, a little bit over, goes into Medicare, Medicaid. $800 billion a year goes into military. We don't need half of that military equipment. Uh, Most of it is is fresh off um, the assembly line and just given to police precincts with the 1033 program. But politicians are too scared to vote no on something with the military because they don't want to see they don't want to be soft on the military and they don't want to be soft on foreign policy. So they just they just continually appropriate funds to the military. uh, And then meanwhile, we're making cuts to PBS and Medicare and Medicaid. Doesn't make any sense. The money is all there. We have all the money in our government. We have to allocate the funds differently. Anyway, so what happens uh, with these uh, with these uh, stop and frisks, with the idea of, of making of resisting arrest a felony? I mean, this is insane stuff. This is police state stuff, and it's real, and it's really happening, and it's been happening to these communities for a very, very long time. And that's why I believe them. When they talk about drugs being planted, weapons being planted in New York City, we have a three and a half year mandatory minimum on illegal guns. I use I use quote over illegal guns because I firmly believe officers plant weapons on a regular basis. When I did two weeks of grand jury duty in Kings County, a perfect sample size and a perfect sample of Kings County, Brooklyn, uh, no one believed the blacks and Hispanics on that jury did not believe these officers coming in saying they found little snub noses. And I believe people. I believe people. And I believe communities. Uh, specifically once you understand the history of disarming uh, and criminalizing their very existence. Again, the 1967 act that that took the guns away from the Black Panther Party because the Black Panther Party was becoming uh, politically successful and viable, even though they weren't nearly the boogeyman that Ronald Reagan, he was the governor of California at the time, wanted to make them out to be. The 1911 Sullivan Act here in New York City, all of this stuff... Uh, goes the left is complicit and the right is complicit into not allowing, not giving the same constitutional rights to people of color. So thank you for your email, uh, Sarah, about Philando Castile. And uh, man, we got to make some changes here. Do away with the 1033 program. Do away with the militarization of police. Community policing. Officers should live in the district in which they police. So when they park their police car, when they park their uh, their their uh, uh, civilian car outside their house, they're looking at a neighbor that they are also there to protect and police. So what? I mean, well, that's what we had in Ferguson. The vast majority of cops lived outside of the city. They almost they go there like a trout fisherman going uh, to the stream when they know the trout are jumping. They go there, fill up their quota sheets. That's exactly what happened in Ferguson. Police police the extension of the tax. Massive revenue streams coming through. The average uh, home in Ferguson had three warrants for their arrest. Three warrants in every house. And you tell me that's not an extension of slavery? Of course it is. 
Not to mention, not to mention what's happening right now with our um, undocumented workers and do- undocumented Americans plan. Uh, Donald Trump just passing Kate's law and another law to unfund sanctuary cities. California, New York, and Texas, three uh, states that you could argue have high Hispanic populations, are also the three biggest uh, revenue makers for this entire United States economy, an economy of roughly $18 trillion, that's about $7 trillion more a year than China. California, New York, California, Texas, and New York are the top three. California being one, Texas being two, New York City being three. And you tell me that undocumented workers are not at the back, at the core of the United States economy. There's studies out there that say if you if you deport uh, undocumented workers, the, the nation over 10 years will lose $5 trillion, $5 trillion. It is huge. The farmers that voted for Donald Trump don't want to see these individuals deported because they're the ones working in their fields, the only ones that'll do it. Uh, you know, you go, I mean, I worked in the bar business for four years in New York City. It's Hispanics. They make everything run. They bust your tables. They, they, they clean up the bar afterwards. Uh, they, they, they do every job, so many jobs that Americans don't want to do. And so for them to be demonized, and I understand we have the, what is it, the M13 gang? All Yes, I agree. That has to, we have to do away with gang violence. All those laws are already there. All this, uh, the, this new set of laws, these immigration laws uh, that the Trump administration are putting down, and I apologize, I'm slightly off the topic of Philando Castile here, uh, but I think it does play into a larger narrative of, of uh, over-policing and demonizing specific groups of people, and those people are never Swedish. It's never the Germans uh, that are being over-policed, okay? It's always people of color. Uh, if you look at what happens, what's happening right now with the immigration policy, it is Blatant racist red meat to a base, a core constituency of Donald Trump and the Trump administration, and he is hoping that this will uh, will will uh, squash or uh, quell their hunger a little while longer as he screws them over on Medicaid and Medicare. The criminal justice system is the biggest civil rights issue of our time. We must do something about it. We have to stop. What's happening in this country? And, you know, even Bill Clinton apologizing for the 94 crime bill, Hillary Clinton apologizing for the 1033 program. Okay, great. That's good. But now how do we change it? It's these policies are very difficult to go back to the fishing analogy. It's easy to set a hook in a fish. It's almost impossible to pull it out once it gets caught on all the barbs. And there's so much money to be made in the prison industrial business in the complex that it is going to be almost impossible to change. We need strong leadership on this issue and on this subject. Um, all right, well, let's wrap up this week's dumpster, uh, dumpster fire chatter. I guess this two weeks dumpster fire chat. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Marcus Parks, also at on Instagram at Marcus Parks. I'm on Twitter at Ben Kissel, Instagram at Ben Kissel one. Uh, check out the BK for BK website if you want to. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. One, five, 10, 15, 20, 30%, 50%, 100%. It's about getting involved and getting your policies out there and, you know, trying to change the narrative as much as possible so that we can start to see the reforms uh, that we want to see as a generation. Uh, hail yourselves, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. 
For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.